You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. We've been in a series on Wednesday night uh, called Cure for the Common Life, and uh, if you missed any of it, I'd encourage you uh, to especially go back on the podcast and listen to the first message, uh, which kind of lays a foundation for this. But uh, tonight, I, I, you know, last week I gave you kind of some uh, a deep dive Bible study into the, the anointing, and uh, we looked at this word through this series. Uh, we've been looking at a word, a Hebrew word, and we can pull that up on the screen. Uh, we've been looking at a Hebrew word, kadosh, which is the Hebrew word for holy, and it's a word a lot of people, you know, one of the, one of the things about kind of just how my journey started and, uh, you know, being, having come from a Christian family, but not really plugging in church for most of my childhood, uh, there was a lot of areas that I, I didn't really fully get as I got into, as I said, fully said yes to Jesus when I was in college. Uh, and, you know, one of those was this word holy. In my mind, you know, I thought holy was somebody who didn't watch a certain movie or you didn't do a certain thing or you, you didn't, uh, you, you dressed like it was 1850. Uh, and, and, and when I found out the, the biblical definition and description of the word holy, I found out that it's so much more than what we do and don't do. It's who we are uh, because of the presence of God in our lives. We, the first mention of the word holy was found in Exodus, and it's this, it's this word kadosh. It's this word which means this. It means to be uncommon, different than common or ordinary, a cut above all the rest. And of course, we saw the first week how it's used to describe of all the words, and there's so much that the Bible's filled with describing who God is, the angels sing an unending chorus of this, this declaration, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They're saying, God, you're above it all. God, there's nothing like you. You're, you're the complete opposite of, of common and ordinary. God, you're amazing. God, you're worthy. God, you're, 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 you're good. And all these declarations in the Bible are pointing to that God is something set apart. And that's what holy means, to be set apart. And we saw beginning the first week how it's God's presence in our lives that sets us apart. And God has called us to live an uncommon life. Tonight, if you're taking notes, the message title is Spot the Difference. Spot the Difference. We're going to begin, we're going to look at a few different places. Today's a little bit different than last week in that uh, I'm not going to give you specific bullet points, but just going to preach from my heart from a few stories that are not unfamiliar for our church family, but they're stories that I believe kind of set the tone. They come from this idea. We've been drawing a lot from the Old Testament, Old Testament pictures of, of you know, we see in, in the Old Testament, God establishing a covenant people, setting apart a group of people as holy to himself. And, uh, and then he revealed himself, drew near his presence in a very personal way. He was teaching them the difference between, you know, in the Old, in, in, in the old Covenant, especially in the Old Testament times, uh, the, the major sin of the Old Testament was idolatry. And they would have these idols and statues and images. And uh, they would worship these things as gods, things that they had made with their own hands. And the Bible compares that sin of idolatry to, uh, to adultery and unfaithfulness, that it's a, in a departure from faithfulness to God. And so God would draw Israel, his people to himself, but he would also reveal his presence to them. And so one of the ways he did that was some, with something called the Ark, the Ark of the Covenant. He had them build a special box that was overlaid with gold. And, uh, you know, I, I gave, I've got a picture, if we can put that picture on the screen, because I realize, you know, most of us have probably watched Rage of the Lost Ark. 
Come on, that movie made me want to be an archaeologist until I figured out that I had to go dig in some dirt for 45 years. Uh, but, I, but I found out, you know, th- I love that. That was my favorite movie growing up. Uh, and, and I love this because the ark was where God's presence would rest among his people. And it was placed in a tent called the tabernacle. And at the, the inner room of the tent was a special room called the Holy of Holies. And what made it holy was not just that the things of worship were set apart, but that God's presence was in the room. And what sets you and I apart as God's people is not just that we have bigger Bibles and that we go to church and we do religious things, but it's the presence of God upon your life. It's the presence of God in your life. The Bible actually describes you as the temple of the Holy Spirit. So the day you said yes to Jesus, something happened. You went from death to life. And the Holy Spirit came and dwelt on the inside of you. And he came to live on the inside of you so that you could have a relationship with God. Uh, We're going to look at a few stories in the Old Testament kind of illustrate something tonight, spotting the difference. The first one is in 1 Chronicles 16. And uh, in 1 Chronicles 16, David has become king. David's a man after God's own heart, and he's grown up in a little town called Bethlehem uh, that's 11 miles from Jerusalem. And for 500 years, Jerusalem is enemy-occupied territory. It's one of the few places Israel could not successfully take and, and, and hold. Uh, and so the couple times they got close, and then they would lose it. And so, so he's grown up seeing a place that belongs to God, but is occupied by the enemy. And he dreams of one day that place being in the hands of the Lord. And so he takes the city. The first thing he does when he's anointed as king is he takes the city. He takes the city and then he brings in the ark, which has been sort of displaced. It's, it's, it's been in the tabernacle of the Old Testament, but he's brought it now to the city of David. And here's where it's, uh, we find ourselves. First uh, Chronicles 16, verse 3, uh, he, as he brought the ta- this ark, he distributed to everyone, of Isra- to everyone who's in Israel, both man and woman, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. Oh, I'm, let me, I skipped ahead. Verse one. So they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tabernacle that David erected for him. They offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Jump down to verse four. And he appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark to commemorate, to thank, and to praise the God of Israel. So this is like the first worship team. So he sets these guys, you know, up to this point, there were activities of the priesthood, but David recognizes God's after more than just uh, natural sacrifices. He's after more than just bulls and goats and, and rams and lambs. He's after the heart of his people. He's after worship. And, uh, and so he, he surrounds the ark with worship. In fact, it's actually 24-hour worship. And, uh, and he, be, he makes this declaration and celebrations. All these people, he's giving them food, he's blessing them, he's doing all these things, and then King David, in celebration of this moment, makes this declaration, verse 26, for all the gods of the peoples are idols. Bring, uh, all, the, all the gods of the people go after and worship, all those things, but here, here's the difference. He says, Lord, you made the heavens. See, we, we made those gods with our hands, but you're different. You made us. You made the heavens and the earth. You, you stretched it out. God, you are different. Verse 29, give to the Lord the glory of do his name. When we worship, we're not giving just according to what we can. We're giving in response to who he is. So worship is less about us. It's not about us, actually. Okay. Uh, but it's, it's what I'm giving to God in response to who he is. Give to the Lord the glory. Do his name. 
give to the Lord in response to who he is. Bring an offering, come before him, and worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. When you know what holiness really is, it's uncommon. God's uncommon. He's set apart, and he calls us uncommon. Marked by his presence, marked by his goodness and his love, that God walks with us and that God wants a relationship with us and we become his house. God's house is not just a building, it's his people. It's you and me. And so in the Old Testament, he dwelt in a, in a, in a temple and in a tabernacle and in a tent. But one of the things that, and, and I spoke to this a little bit on Friday at Encounter Night, one of the things that I think is one of the most tragic stories throughout the Old Testament was any time the house was empty of the ark. There were seasons where the, temp, the, the tabernacle, the place where Israel would come and worship, had everything in it except the ark. Had everything that they needed for worship, but the ark was gone. And the first time the ark left the, the tabernacle was when it was captured by the Philistines. Israel was in a very low season spiritually. They were led by a high priest named Eli who was uh, kind of uh, indifferent to the compromise and the sin and the activity of the priesthood. His sons were the priests and, and uh, they would take advantage of those that were coming to worship. They would sleep with the women at the tabernacle and they would use the offerings for their own personal gain and enrichment instead of ministering to the Lord. And as this is going on, the priesthood is compromised. Eli finds out that the ark is captured by the enemy. Something had happened in Israel. They had departed from the main thing. And because of that, they lost the most important thing. One of Eli's sons has a child that's born at this time. And his mother, recognizing the moment that uh, is, is taking place. The ark is captured by the enemy, the Philistines, and the house of God is missing the centerpiece. And it wasn't, can I help you? It's not about a box. It was about his presence. And they, he, she names her son Ichabod. And Ichabod means the glory has departed. It's a sad story when the house is there, but it's empty the main thing. Empty the main thing. As the church, we must have the presence of God central. And that's why I believe that as David takes the city and he takes Jerusalem, the very first thing he does is he brings in the ark. He brings the presence of God. He knows I want to be blessed. I want to be successful as a king. But most of all, most importantly, I want the presence of God to be central. If, if our lives are going to be all that God's created us to be, we have to have the main thing at the center, and that's, that's Jesus. That's the presence of God. That's, that's, that's the heart of God. He, um, he, he started out, if you know the story, he first tried to bring the ark with a cart pulled by oxen, but it was a mistake, and it didn't work. And, and uh, later on, he went back to the word, and sometimes the church forgets the main thing because we lose sight of what God's word says. We build the church, we build our lives on good ideas and opinions and philosophies and arguments instead of the only thing that lasts forever. God's word lasts forever. Heaven and earth, Jesus says, will pass away before this does. He says, my word will never pass away. So if I'm going to build my life, it's not going to be on opinions. <laughs> if I'm going to build my life on a foundation, it's not going to be my feelings. 
You, you, ever, you ever go into a, a room and the lights don't kick on? The light switch, bulb went out, light switch, something's a circuit's out or whatever, and, and it's not working, and you have to walk through a dark room. And any of the parents in here know that one of the most dangerous things about walking barefoot through a dark room that children have been in is Legos. But when you're in a dark room, you can't see your way through. The only thing you can do is be led by your feelings. Try to to feel through the dark and try to make sure you don't run into something. And that's how most people live their lives. They're led by feelings. And so he... He finds out that his own efforts, his own plan, the card of the ox didn't work. And, and I, I love what Ian Bounds, who's a, 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 a pastor, preacher from the 19th century, he wrote this. He said, God, the church, people are looking for better methods. God's looking for better men. Because he was trying to figure out what's the best way to bring the ark. And all of his efforts didn't work because the only thing that's qualified, the only thing that God has called for to carry the ark was the priests, his people. You're a carrier of the presence of God to the world around you. That's what God's looking for. And that's why, as we talk about this difference tonight, I want us to go to Joshua chapter 3. Joshua 3 uh, is a few generations before this. Israel is coming out of 40 years of wilderness living, 40 years of aimlessness, 40 years of being stuck, going in circles. You ever feel like that sometimes? Like you're chasing your own tails, you know, my dog does that. You're just, you're trying to do something and it's not working and, and, and you just, listen church, you weren't called to live aimlessly. But they come to this moment, they come to the Jordan River and they're about to cross over. I want you to see this, Joshua chapter 3 verse 1, Joshua rose early in the morning early in the morning, and they set out from the Acacia Grove, and they came to the Jordan, and he and all the children of Israel, and they lodged there before they crossed over. And so it was after three days that the officers went through the camp, and they commanded the people and said this, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests and the Levites bearing it, it's being carried on the shoulders of the priests, then you shall set out from your place where you are and go after it. But there should be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Don't come near to it, that you may know the way you must go, for you have not passed by this way before. This is, I love this story. Because they're about to cross over. Can I just tell you, church, you're, you're, you're crossing over some things. They're about to cross over the boundary that 40 years before they couldn't cross. They hit a, a wall. They hit a limitation. They had grown up to a certain point, but they could go no further. There's certain things in our life where we move in a certain place. We, we grow to a certain level. We start progressing, but then we regress. We hit a boundary. But you're not called to go backwards. You're not called to regress. You're called to cross over. And they come to the Jordan River, the thing that represented their boundary, and they're about to step into a new season. And the most important information that they had to get was what the ark was doing. The priests were carrying the ark and they were to step into the river and God, like he did a generation before the Red Sea, would part the waters and they would cross over on dry land. But what they were to pay attention to, first thing in the morning, Joshua gets up. 
He says, guys, we're going to do something very important today. We're going to cross over, but you've got to pay attention to where the ark is going, and you've got to keep enough distance so that you can see it. Because if they crowded around it, they wouldn't see it. You can't see sometimes what God wants you to see when you're preoccupied with the crowd. And this is important because what was going to lead their lives was not the crowd. He said, you've never crossed this way before. I, I know we're, we're, we're trying to figure out what's going on in the world. We're trying to figure out what to do with our families, with our own lives. What, what's the next step? You know, we're looking at all these different things in our life, and, and we're wondering, but can I tell you, when you're following Jesus, when you're being led by him, hearing his voice, he's always going to make you cross over. Cross over into freedom. Cross over into his purpose and his promise. But it's going to mean you're going to go some places you've never been before. You're going to do some things that you've never done before. You're stepping into something different. And, it, and it, so here's what he says. You've got to pay attention to this. And I love that he starts early in the morning. There's just something about the morning. Now, I'm not a morning person. Is there anybody else who's not a morning person? It's easy on Sundays to figure it out because 9 o'clock is morning people. 10.30, not morning people. And so it's easy there. But, but, but one of the things I found is I'm, I'm kind of naturally a night owl. So for me, uh, I, you know, it's easier to pray, read the Bible, spend time with God at night sometimes than it is the morning. But I found the richest times I've ever had with God have actually been when I got up early. When I gave God the first. Do you know there's actually something throughout the Bible about the first? I mean, just, just from beginning to end, there's something about the first. Do you know we worship Jesus on Sunday because it's the first day of the week. The world thinks Monday's the first day because that's when you go back to work. Sunday's actually the first. Paul says that, I think it's in 1 Corinthians, to set aside an offering on the first of the week as that church would gather. He was talking about Sunday. It's the first, the first part of your day as you spend time with Jesus. There's something special about the first. When we give to God first, we're honoring God first because that's what, it, you know, that's what tithing is. We're saying, God, this is first. I, I know we thought tithing is 10%. It's actually the first. <laughs> because what's first in your life actually has your heart. That's, that's why there's a lot of things people struggle with that I've just, whenever I've struggled, it's been a matter of what is first in my life. Prayer, I'm going to set him first. Worship about him be, is about him being first. And I love this because he says at the early part of the day, he gets up and, and he says, guys, we're crossing over. But you got to pay attention to the ark. You've got to watch it. You're crossing over a boundary you've never been before. And you've got to recognize, and he tells them something that I think is absolutely essential as we look at this day. And this is the main verse I want you to catch. Joshua chapter 3, verse 5, Joshua says to the people, sanctify yourselves. We've seen that word a couple times over the last couple of weeks, sanctify yourselves. What does it mean to sanctify? It's a, it's, a, it's a Bible word that means literally, it's this simple, set apart as holy to God. 
Do you know when you pray and you start the day with Jesus, you're setting that time, you're sanctifying that time. You're saying, God, this, this moment is holy because I'm choosing to honor you first. There's something special about that. And so here's what he says. Before you cross over, before we fight the battle for the promised land, before we receive what God has, has, has promised to give us, and blessing us and making a way for us and generations to come, he says, here's the first thing we got to do. Sanctify yourselves today. Set yourself apart today for tomorrow. The Lord will do wonders among you. Prepare today for what God's going to do tomorrow. He says, sanctify yourselves today. In other words, set yourself apart to God today. See, there's some things that God does, and there's some things that we do. There's some things that only God can do, and there's some things that only we can do. And in this moment, the way he's describing to be set apart for God is not something God can do for you. It'd be easy if God would wake me up with, you know, a chorus of angels at 5 a.m. My dog did that at 5.30 this morning. So those, this, is, this is where we have to recognize this. He says, you've got to sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. In other words, set your life apart today for what God wants to do tomorrow. God's going to do wonders. One translation says awesome things. Oh, can I just tell you, God's got some awesome things. And they're not, they're not determined based on what's happening in the world. They're, they're not determined based on who's, who's in your corner at this moment and, and who's, who's voted for you and who's decided that, that God can bless you and that God can help you and that God can make a way for you. No, no. He doesn't even consult any of that. He doesn't even consult your past in determining your future. Tomorrow, he's going to do awesome things. But he says, you've got to prepare today. You've got to prepare today. And you know what? Spotting the difference is not just in recognizing that God is holy, but in recognizing we're called to set our lives apart because for me to make a difference in the world, I have to be different. For, for me to make a difference, I have to be different. There's got to be something in my life that actually goes against the course, goes against the stream goes against the flow of the world. If the world's going in fear, I'm going in faith. If the world's hopeless, I'm full of hope. That's why, that's why I think it's Peter. He says, he says you've got to be ready to give an answer for the hope that's in you. Why? Because people are going to notice there's something different. But for them to see a difference, there has to be one. And as we become set apart for God... That's what begins to happen in our lives. Let me give you a couple quick verses. Just some practical things in setting our lives apart. First is Psalm 101, verse 3. This is the English Standard Version. It says this, I will not set anything before my eyes that's worthless. So when we're preoccupied and our attention is preoccupied with something that's not worth something. See, just... We've been invited to experience and know God. But how many times do we miss something eternal for something very temporary? How often do we miss what God wants to do 
when, because we're choosing to go a different course and we're, we're preoccupied with something that's actually worthless. And he's worthy. He's worthy of our attention, our focus. And so that's why the psalmist says this, I'm not, I've made a decision, not because of religion and not because somebody, you know, there's just some things that I've, I've over my relationship with God, I've made the decision not to do certain things, not to look at certain things, not because somebody had to come along and say, you shouldn't do that. Because I recognize, man, I just want, I, I want to draw closer to God. I want all that God has for my life. And I want my attention on what's worthy of it. Some, uh, let's look at Mark 7 real quick. We're almost done. Mark 7. This is a New Living Translation. Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees. Uh, you know, his harshest words were always for the religious crowd. Because, you know, the sinners and the, the, the tax collectors, the sinners, the prostitutes, those who were broken. They would come to Jesus because they realized their, their life was a mess and they knew he was the answer. The religious, cloud, religious crowd had all the same problems, but didn't think they needed help. And so he, he talks to them one day, and they're upset because the disciples have not washed their hands before dinner. It's in the Bible. <laughs> they didn't wash their hands, so their hands are not clean. And they're not concerned with hygiene, just so you know. Their concern is religious purification. And so Jesus uses that to point to something. He says, listen, you're concerned with the outside. Religion's preoccupied with the outside. And Jesus said, it's actually what comes from the inside that defiles a person. Because what you, what you, what's on the outside doesn't affect your heart. But what comes out of you is what affects your heart. So here's what it says. From within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these things come, all these vile things come from within. That's what defiles. So, you know, I've seen this over the years. I've even seen this in ministry. Where we have a, like a mindset that my Christian walk is something that's more akin to a job. Where I clock in and I clock out. Okay, it's quiet in here. Where I go, you know what? I just need to unwind. I just need a little break. And I take off my hat as a worshiper but I don't realize that taking off the worshiper hat is what actually creates a double life that ultimately is very destructive. Instead, I've realized that it's much better to never take off the worshiper hat. <laughs> okay. See, that's the difference between being a professional Christian and a lover of Jesus. And I realize, it, it, it's, I always use the analogy of, of marriage because I think it's the best earthly picture of this at least what, it, what it's supposed to be, is that when you're married, you're set apart for someone. And there aren't, you know, I've worked with a lot of couples, performed a lot of weddings over the years, done a lot of premarital counseling. I don't know any time where anybody's gone, I want to be married six days out of the week. You know what? I'll be generous. Six and a half. It just doesn't work. 
But when I realize I'm set apart, it's not about a religious thing. It's about I'm now, I have an uncommon life. I'm set apart for, a one, for the only one who's worthy. I want you to see the last part of this. Jason, if you and the team want to come up. Let's go back to Joshua before we're done. Joshua chapter 3, verse 5. Let me read that again. Joshua said, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord's going to do amazing things. I don't want to miss amazing things. I don't want to miss what God's got ahead because I settled for common. Because I settled for less. I want everything that Jesus has. I want everything he's got. And, and, and so here's what he tells them. The very next thing, Joshua spoke to the priests. He said, take up the ark, cross over before the people. So that's what they did. Verse 7, and the Lord said to Joshua. The Lord then turns to Joshua as all this is going on. And here's what he says to him. This day I'm going to exalt you in the sight of all Israel. That they may know as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Do you know why it matters as a believer not only that I'm set apart so that I can receive and know all that God has for my life, but so that the world can spot the difference. Religions never change the world. It hasn't. Professional Christianity has not changed the world. Do you know what's going to change the world? Somebody says, I love Jesus with everything. It's not, it's not perfect people, but it's people that are sold out that say, you know what, I, I run to Jesus. When I've failed, I run to Jesus. When I've made a mistake, I run to Jesus. But my life is his. My life is his. And God tells him, I'm going to, I'm going to set you up to influence the nation. Do you know every believer, we've, we've, like our culture tends to do, we take words and reduce them until they don't mean what they used to mean. We, we're now, you know, an influencer is now, I get paid to sponsor something on, you know, Facebook. Do you know what to influence? Every person in here has influence. People in the world, we, they search, and even sometimes in the church, we search for affluence. But the kingdom is influence. It's being influenced by Jesus and influencing the world around us. Would you stand to your feet? Let me pray for you. Let me ask our prayer team to come down. Tonight, I want us to do something that might be a little scary for you. <laughs> but I think it's one of the most important things you can ever do. David said to God, search me. Search me. See if there's any wicked way in me. He's saying, God, search me for anything that's not of you. And that's, if you don't trust God, and, you know, I, I found that people who are in an environment where they're, they can't trust, maybe because they've been wounded, hurt, even abused, it's hard for them to open up, to share. Feel like we have to be guarded. Feel like people are going to judge you. That's, that's. And so if we feel like God isn't safe, we won't go to him. We've talked a lot about trust tonight that Leslie and my wife share. Trust is so important because of who God is. The God who sees deep on the inside of your heart loves you more than anyone ever will. 
and he wants to help us deal with what's on the inside so that we can cross over and he can do the awesome things he's intended to do and he can use your life and mine to influence the world around us because we know that the world needs hope the world needs Jesus the world does not need religion it needs Jesus it needs an encounter with the living God it needs the reality of the Holy Spirit it needs the truth of God's Word that's unchanging it needs all of that that's what's gonna turn the light on so that people don't have to be led by their feelings but they can see clearly what they need and that's what you and I can bring but you know for me to be the husband the father leader Christian that I need to be I go to God every day not from shame not from perfectionism trying to no no I come to Jesus say God I'm I'm yours I'm yours now do in me what you want to do do in me what you want to do and sometimes that looks like him giving me an attitude adjustment anybody else besides me okay two of us thank you Sometimes that looks like him working on the way I speak to others or how I treat people, because that matters. Let's, let's, let's just be fully his and cross over to the other side. Let's do this. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. And God, we pray right now that you would search our hearts. If that's... if. If you want to say amen to that prayer, then just tell the Lord right now, right where you're at, God, search my heart. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Do what you want to do. Today, I give you my yes. I trust you with everything. And I draw near to you, Jesus. Because I want those around me to spot the difference. I want them to see the hope and the light and the love of Christ. I want them to see the freedom that you've provided for me. Jesus, we love you. We love you, Lord. We love you. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.